I'm Jay Mac. And I'm Jess. And you're listening to Base Code Podcast. Good day, Jay Mac. Hello. Looking a little relaxed and tired this evening. Tired. Tired for sure. Who's been like crushing it for like the last four days to kind of hit this launch date that I set for myself, of course. Yeah. <laughs> for uh, for base Laravel. So, but I just kind of I wanted it like done because it's one of those things where like you could you could spend months like polishing this perfectly, yeah. like, and even still not really be where you want it to be in your mind. So, I try to do a good job of finding that spot where I know it's. It's a little bit chaotic, but it's also like right at the edge of preventing me from having to like painfully reconsider everything that I'm doing, you know? Would you say it's similar to the way you write code? No, not at all. <laughs> okay. Code's way smoother. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I, f- I have a lot of trouble writing like blog posts because I'll spend so much time editing and rewording and... exactly end up yeah not doing it just because i know how long it's going to take yeah like maybe that first draft is like easy and it comes out but yeah to the point you start figuring out all these things and then you refine your code samples then you're like oh i remember this blog post that mentioned this thing and i really want to like and then you can't you google search for like hours trying to find this thing that you read three years ago yeah so it's just that's what i'm talking about like yeah i try to keep myself from getting you know to that place but at the expense of maybe a little bit of chaos where i'm kind of putting it all together so it's quote unquote you know good enough yeah to get out the door well i had fun getting a sneak peek and reviewing it and all that sort of stuff and i really really enjoyed it so yeah i think you've done well i am really curious about how you create the book from the markdown though like obviously you're just using some sort of a cool little tool that takes markdown and converts it into a beautifully formatted book so yeah, I think, you know what, honestly, I think Adam Wathen gave me a script a couple of years back that he had used for refactoring to collections. Okay. Basically, that script really just ran it through like a static site generator, more or less. Okay. So I kind of adapted it, and basically I run it off Jekyll, which is like the Ruby version of Jigsaw. Yeah. So you go from Markdown to HTML and then to PDF. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, right. But... Because I had some of these existing scripts and I was already familiar, like with my own blog, for example. Yeah. It, it seems silly. It's very like developer esque, you know, like we joked <laughs> yeah. about last time. Like it's very meta. Like how many things can we stuff into this for yep. like no reason? <laughs> yeah, it's it's totally one of those. I'll admit, but it's what I'm familiar with, and yeah. it worked for base code and getting Git, and for a couple of small things like that I made downloadable for Confident Laravel. So I was like, why not? I actually tried to do Jigsaw at first just to kind of remove the Jekyll thing. So at least it was all more or less PHP Laravel. But yeah. I ran into some issues. Not not that there was anything wrong with Jekyll, but I just, it was all very fine-tuned for that handoff. So it's a little silly, but it works. Okay. I was about to say, like, good on you for not trying to start with a new technology every single time you do a new book. But it seems like you did try to go down the Jigsaw path, and but quickly realized, stick with what works. <laughs> yeah. I probably tried for like 20 minutes. So again, I'm sure it would have worked, but it was just one of those things where I really just didn't want to have to redo it because I knew what I had worked. Okay, fair enough. So you're not printing it from your browser or anything. You're not going like print to PDF. You're actually converting it to HTML and then using another 
tool to convert the HTML. Oh yeah, it goes from marked. I think I posted about it once. I'll, I'll see if I can dig up the tweet for the show notes. But I made the joke like I'm going from you know text markdown, parsing it with PHP to stuff it into posts that are part of a jigsaw blog, <laughs> rendering that statically, and then running another PHP script that kicks it through you know a PDF library to generate the PDF, and then by hand. I go in and drop the first page for Far the out. cover. Okay. Well, I'm yeah, sure there jacked. probably is a better way, but I like the developeriness hacking together. Just, yeah. All right, cool. I think it would be cool to talk a little bit about uh, some of the content in the book. Yeah. I think it would be cool to talk about some of the controller streamlines. Absolutely. So do you want to kick us off with one? Yeah, so base Laravel, which I uh, just launched today, which is one of the reasons, like I said, I was kind of tired just because I was getting that ready to, to get out the door and launch and everything's going well. It's you know free ebook. And so the, the free uh, ebook has three main chapters and it's controllers, uh, models, and views. Uh, and each one I try to have six, you know, individual kind of streamlines or areas to focus in within those different, you know, core Laravel components, right? The M, the V, the C. Yeah. So for controllers, you know, the biggest thing, like for me, when I get into a controller is just like the amount of temporary variables and the lack of maybe leveraging things that the framework gives you, you know, automatically, like the request objects automatically injected or can be, and you can do an implicit model binding to just go ahead and resolve a model. Obviously, like we talked about last time, you can pull anything you want out of the container. So, you know, it's one of those things where I find most of the bloat within a controller action is just that. It's someone maybe taking like data equals request all, you know, yep. and user equals auth user, things like that, or, you know, whatever yeah. equals new this or whatever equals resolve that. It's a lot of code that does that. And then the rest deals with some other things, which I'm sure we'll get to. But that's really the number one culprit for me. Like anytime I see that, I kind of put like my like functional programming hat on and I'm just like, no temporary variables. Like yeah. how can I collapse this? Yeah. For me, it makes things more readable. It reduces the line count. Anytime you've got a temporary variable, you've got to track in your mind what that was next time you see it. Exactly. So you basically in your brain, you've got the variable exists as well. Whereas if you just call it on, you know, the request object or whatever it might be, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. And I talked about that in base code a little bit too, like the proximity rule. Like if you think in a very C programming language kind of style, where maybe you're putting all these assignment statements and declarations at the top of your method, if it's a long method, yeah, by the time you get to the bottom, like, yeah, you have to carry all that in your brain. Yeah. And, you know, we're only human. And, yeah, we have powerful IDEs. And, sure, for the most part, hopefully, hopefully, your controller action is, you know, maybe a dozen lines at the most. But, I mean, I've seen controller actions that were literally hundreds of lines. And it's just, you're not going to be keeping track of all that. So, yeah. to the point, if you want to use temporary variables, that's fine. Sometimes they can be helpful and explain maybe a complex expression or who knows again I, d I don't really i don't really advocate for them but yeah. if you were to use them you could at least take them and instead of just clumping them all at the top you could put them a little closer to where they're used so at least you don't have to carry that in your mind through you know dozens of lines of code at least it's maybe right next to where it's used yeah i think that's a good point you made about using them when they explain a complex concept i do think they're valuable as a self-documenting tool 
The other thing I wanted to mention, though, was something else you touched on in the book, which was around people's, I guess, phobia of calling a function on the request object multiple times to get different pieces of input. Ah, uh, yes. Like the direct access. Like in the olden days, I think people, yeah, used, they used to care about if I'm calling that, it's going through a function and then that function's accessing the array. Whereas if I just call the function once and get the array, I'm only ever accessing the array. But yeah. like one of the whole things of your book is about optimizing for human readability. And obviously there's a balance. You sure. don't want to, for every property of a model request it from the database separately each time like there's definitely a balance but absolutely most of these optimizations people used to do are so minuscule now they don't make a difference exactly yeah i mean that that memoization that's happening at like just the smallest micro layer yeah. of saying oh instead of request input whatever i'm gonna store all request data in a local array and access it that way Sure, it's undeniable that you know, in a in like a nanosecond capacity, that yeah, that's probably faster. But you know, if that's your core motivation for doing that, I just I don't know. I would I would say you've kind of missed the mark. Yeah, like, I want to optimize for human readability first, uh, and really kind of run up against the wall of when that becomes the problem. Because I guarantee you, you know, we can have an episode on performance if we want, but like. <laughs> By the time you get to that point, if you're tweaking to that level across your entire application, you probably are at a place where you even need to reconsider the actual language that you use, much less the framework. True. Yeah. I think even understanding where Laravel will apply some memoization is useful. For example, when you access a relationship property on a, on a model, so when you're not using the brackets, when you're actually accessing the relationship, the first time you call that, Laravel will make the database query. But the second time you call it, Laravel already knows that it's already grabbed that. So yeah. understanding that I think is helpful so that you don't feel like you're making two database queries by accessing a relationship two times. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, to the point, like just feel the pain, like trust the framework probably knows what it should be doing, maybe even a little more than you do. So like, yeah. you know, all the more reason to maybe just kind of use what the framework gives you again and you know see see where it goes so and if you find if you find a problem then you learn for real you know yeah i think every framework does have those foot guns that you know let you shoot yourself in the foot but things like eager loading and lazy loading and laravel solve probably the biggest foot gun in a typical orm yeah so i guess they understanding how and when to avoid n plus one queries because that is a compute optimization that's good to do yeah even when you're accessing the user on the request that's not making a database call. That database call's already happened. Exactly. Yeah. So each time you're just re-accessing the reference. Yeah. So another thing that I see inside of uh, controllers a lot, of course, you know, once you cut down on those temporary variables is the rest really is mostly persistence like logic. So something that's building up a model to be saved, right? You know, like you're setting all the fields yeah. on it or you're tacking on the relationships. I guess there's another thing too, which we'll come back to, but that's probably the, the second or third biggest thing. It's definitely top three for sure that I see when I'm kind of auditing or working on applications or even my own applications. Like maybe again, the first pass might have that, but I like to abstract those into something else. It's normally a creation method on the model. So like create user from registration, you know? Yeah. These kind of like static constructors. Exactly. Yeah little named constructors that I can just pass. 
I think where I differ maybe from other developers is I'm actually comfortable in those scenarios, like passing down the request object. Yeah, I get funny feelings from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and so I think it'll be a good discussion. But I like doing it. And just so hear me out for a sec. The main reason or the main time I like doing it is because I also like form request objects. And I leverage that form request object as a bit of a contract of like, here's the data that's on this object. I kind of, when I pass it out of the model, I don't look at it like the request anymore. I look at it like a parameterized object that has a known set of properties on it. Yeah, I understand. Yep. So again, I'm, I'm switching my perspective of how it's being used in that capacity, but I do think on the surface, yeah, a lot of developers look and see, oh, oh, you, oh you're passing a form request to your model? That's weird. Yeah. And it, it is kind of weird if you look at it that way, but I look at more like, again, this like almost like a DTO of defined valid data that you can trust. Yeah. Like if the method name is create from request sure, and the request is type entered in some sort of way, probably, then that will generally make me sleep okay at night. Yeah. And that's normally what I do in fairness. Yeah. And you do have the benefit of being able to access the user ID from that object. So you haven't got to reach out and interact with the auth system. Sure. You can kind of just access it off the request object because oftentimes you need it when you're saving an object but it doesn't come through as a request parameter. So if you just send request validated into a creation method, you're not going to get the user ID. So you've got to kind of send that in separately. Now that's what normally what I do is a separate parameter for the user ID, but yeah, yeah, I can see the, the benefit of that approach too. The interesting thing though is as much as I like those named constructors or creation methods that we're calling, like if you do start to pass in every parameter, you have this super long parameter list. And at that point, what's the difference between that and just calling create? Yeah. No, when I when I say I'm passing them in, I pass in similar to what the create method does. Like the create method in Laravel, the first parameter is attributes. So I'll pass in attributes as one property. Um, and that's normally comes from like the request validator. Sure. And then the second parameter would be the authenticated user that's creating it. So it's not one argument for every single thing it's all of the attributes and then the user separately gotcha yeah so you're basically copying the create method but just kind of giving it its own custom name yeah sometimes yeah. and then passing in more or less an arbitrary set of array values yeah that's a fair point and again it, it it's fine uh depending on the naming and so forth but you know, for me, I try to strike a balance between writing the least amount of code, yet the code that communicates the most. Yeah. And it's not always so pretty when you look at it in a technical, like hard technical light. No. Sometimes. But again, I'm not trying to make the computer happy. I'm trying to make the human happy. Yeah. I mean, I've had cases where I've had a method on a model that generates a PDF. So I've got like a two PDF yeah. model which kind of mimics the two string and all those sorts of things and two array and that reaches out to a pdf service that sends a request off to a docker container called browserless that is basically headless chrome that converts yeah. html to pdf and sends it back sounds like the book i make yeah <laughs> so that's happening via a model but the model itself is just handing that over to this pdf service to do that well and that's kind of the ironic point is like you can go back and forth as developers all day long like i mean we're we're even just kind of going back and forth just a little bit on like these creation methods 
but you can also look at anyone's code base and see the most ridiculous thing that they're doing and they'll admit it, you know, like you said, oh, I'm doing, I generate a PDF with a model. So it's just funny. Like we, we know where the boundaries are, but yet we also break them ourselves all the time. So yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. The point I want to make from all that is try things out is really the point I'm making. Like we can all look at something and say, oh, that's gross. But we've done some gross stuff, too, every now and then. So, you know, yeah. when you see these things, whether they're streamlines from Base Laravel or a tweet from someone in the community and it, you know, you kind of stick your nose up at it at first, you know, be willing to keep it in the back of your mind. I've, I've done that plenty of times in my career as a programmer over the last 20 years. And I got to be honest, pretty much every single time there's been a point where I've come back and said, oh, man, I see where that could have been used now i see why i should have been doing it that way yeah you know in that context yeah so yeah that makes sense i really like having the models as being the the source of truth of what you can do with that like business object in your domain yeah so if you've got an invoice model and that can be converted to pdf having a invoice to pdf method like a to pdf method on the invoice shows you okay cool uh, this app lets me turn invoices into pdfs yeah and this app lets me create invoices from request objects so in terms of having this really nice sort of composable tool where you can say oh i've now need to interact with this object i know in this business domain we can do these things with it there's the public method for it right there i haven't got to go dig in some service that accepts the model sure and- and find all that i definitely agree that i like having one source of truth and maybe the next episode we'll we'll just keep tackling these high level concepts and we can talk about models more but what i'll say quickly though is just i i worry that the whole fat model skinny controller you know statement has done at this point more harm than good so you know, that's, that's, I don't know, again, that that's a whole, that's a whole episode onto itself. So let's, let's, let's get back to controllers just for now. And we'll, and we'll come sure. back to those for next time. So that'll be a little teaser for next time. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I, I think the one other thing that kind of tied into, and I skipped over a minute ago is, is definitely the validation logic in a controller. And again, in, in some frameworks, that's probably totally fine. And, and even in Laravel for a couple fields, it's, you know, it's not that big of a deal either. But to the whole point of kind of using what the framework provides, you have this dedicated object that Laravel gives you to perform validation. It's seamlessly built in with a type hint. It's just super smooth in my mind. I just don't, yeah. I really don't understand, honestly, why you wouldn't use it. it. It should be the rule, not the exception. I feel like it's still kind of the exception for some reason. Yeah, if I'm starting just a new little app that I'm hacking around on and I don't even know if that controller is going to even exist in five minutes, sometimes it feels like a bit heavy to start pulling things out because then if I've got to change something, I've got to go rename everything else to make sure that it makes sense. So mm. sometimes I still start with validation in the controller, but I think, yeah, ultimately it is nicer to pull it out. What are you having to rename on your form request, though? Just to kind of go down that avenue for a minute. The The form request itself, generally. So, like, if the form request is, um, like, create invoice request, mm. and then I decide later on, oh, I'm not even doing an invoice, I'm doing a, I don't know, different thing. Sure. <laughs> then I've got to go rename the form request, mm. you know, change the class name or change all the references. Obviously, IDs make that easier. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's just kind of like the pieces of that start spreading. Yeah. No, I understand. I think if you're naming it, like, after controller actions or your controller 
you know, obviously um, context is the same as the model name and those things change. Absolutely. I could see how those would have to be renamed. But that is a little bit of a, a I guess, a, a side note there is I do try to name my form requests a little more on the data side than on the controller side or like the controller action side. So, yeah, you know, and I also typically actually don't use request in them because I just feel it reads kind of funny. Like it's create invoice request request yeah. when you have it in the parameters. Yeah. So I kind of typically call it like create invoice. It's kind of m- more framed as an as an action rather than as like a noun of what it is. It's more what it does. Yeah. But yeah, pushing the boundaries on form requests just a little bit more. And I think it was Marcel that maybe wrote about this a while back and again at first i was kind of like that's weird and then you know i did it a few times and i was like that's genius <laughs> like <laughs> but he was putting his creation methods with the form request oh like on the form request yeah because again the form request knows the data it is the data transformation object right it knows yeah. that it's valid cuz normally what you're doing is you're taking that form request validated data and you're passing it to some model creation method anyways, right? Yeah. But it's pretty smooth to be able to say request arrow create. Yeah. You don't even have to pass it anything. It's still encapsulated, it's just in a different way. Like you've got a set of parameters on the request and a set of parameters on the user. So only one of them can encapsulate those itself and Exactly. Yeah, having it on the request. I don't know. I think it's it's pretty slick. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. It takes a minute to get used to for sure because again, I think we can pigeonhole these things about what they're supposed to do and then kind of back it up with like this whole like SRP misguided type thing and it's like sure, but you know, form requests aren't just validation, yeah. clearly. I mean, they do authorization too, right? They have an authorized method in them. And in fairness, in the beginning, I used to never use that thing because it was just like, what do I need this for? But you start to see as you open your mind a little bit, like, can I make this specific request based on some rules? And even if you don't use that method a lot, you do find when you need it, it's there. And then you're like, oh my gosh, now I understand. Yeah. And what this was all about. Yeah. So like one thing I really like with form requests is there's a lot of time you get edge cases where you've got data coming in from the user and you need to do something with it before you can validate it or save it. So I see that's where a lot of people start to maybe in the rules function, start putting all this crazy logic to kind of manipulate stuff before it, Uh, before they return the rules object. And I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, but the the request has this prepare for validation method that you yes. can just create and Laravel will automatically call it. And that's where you yeah. can do some of these manipulations. I mean, I still try and keep the data fairly pure from the user, but I think it's a good use case. There's also a passes validation function as well. Yeah, there's like a pre and post method that you can hook into that a Laravel will call automatically. Yeah, that you can kind of use to do a little bit of like data manipulation before you actually go and persist it or do whatever you're going to do with it. So Yeah, form requests are like super powerful objects when you go dig around in them. Like they're not just about validation. And even if they were and you had complex validation, again, all the more reason to take that away from your controller, you know, and just stuff it there. It's this dedicated yeah. object that can encapsulate all of that. And it's very clear once you start using them, you know, to go and look for it. It's not mysterious in any way. Like it's type hinted right in your face. Yeah. I can see people's argument though being, well, you've just moved it from the controller to the form request. But if your form request is dedicated to a controller method, 
or at least a controller action. So it's dedicated to creating an object and there's a separate one yeah. for updating an object. Instead of having all that logic in a controller, you've kind of pulled it out of each method and made the controller smaller and moved it into separate places. So it's not moving it from one to another, it's moving it from one to many places. Sure. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a trade-off for sure. So I get the point they're making there. But, you know, again, these are the, probably the same types of devs that, you know, go back to the memoization of like, you know, data equals request arrow all, you know. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, uh, sure, I see what you're saying, but I think you're missing a bigger picture, right? So I yeah. just, I don't know, as I get older, I kind of, and I'm tired too, so sorry about that, but I just kind of lose, I lose <laughs> patience for those arguments these days. Yeah. All right. Well, it is getting late for you, so shall we call it a day there? Yeah, let's go ahead and cut this one off. But yeah, we'll pick up with models because I do think that was a good point. And there's there's a whole lot more we could be talking about with models. But yeah, those just to recap real quick, those are definitely the big three. If you're looking to kind of tidy up your controller and you feel like, man, this thing's like 20 lines. I bet you if you went through and you tried to collapse temporary variables by making sure, you know, you're either using what Laravel gives you or, again, just... Do a couple bits of direct access. Again, it's it's no big deal. It's probably not going to cost you anything. Check for validation. Move it off to a form request. And then you're probably just going to be left with your persistence logic. And at that point, you can decide you know the best home for it. If you have repositories, you can put it there. If you have models, you can obviously stuff it down there. If you're embracing form requests, you who knows? You may be able to try there. And we'll link to that article by Marcel to yeah. see what's up. But of course, I talk about all those in base Laravel, which is free. So I'm not trying to sell it. Sweet. All right. Cool. I hope the uh, hope the launch is going well, and yeah, we'll chat more next week. Yeah, I'll catch up on some sleep, so I'm not so grumpy. <laughs> See ya. See ya. Show notes for this episode can be found at basecodefieldguide.com/slash twenty six.